You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com. And joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMA Junkie, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, spring is in the air. It must be. I come over here and you got the, the screen door. It just got, like I feel like we should be out on the porch doing this one, maybe barbecuing as we do it. Uh, American flag blowing in the breeze. The chatter of local children and gang members in the background. Yeah. What's up, little Tony? Teen, How your sister doing, man? Teen moms pushing their kids down the street in their strollers. The the gentle sound of trains colliding together, wafting over the tracks. I feel like that would bring some added, uh, you know, like ambiance. Yeah, a little ambiance. Make it a little bit, uh, a little bit more ethereal in here. A little bit more. Uh, well, and let's not act like, you know, this is spring in Montana, so tomorrow it'll probably be snowing. We really got to take the opportunity while it's there. As for right now, though, you're celebrating. You got your uh, All Elbows t-shirt on. That's right, I do. Just free and easy. I love this t-shirt. You're, there's nothing you're going to say to make me feel bad about wearing I'm, my All Elbows t-shirt. I'm not trying to insult your t-shirt. I think it's a, I think it's a nice t-shirt. It's right up there with the MMA media is a whore t-shirt as my favorite MMA-themed t-shirts. I wanted to make fun of you. I'd make fun of your glasses. We all know that. I'm going to punch you right in the neck. That's what I'm going to do. Hey, we got stuff in the mail this week, Ben. We got uh, a, a Disney children's book. What? Illustrated by friend of the podcast, Marco Bucci. Man, the uh, prolific Marco Bucci. Yeah, hitting the big time, man. Doing doing the illustrations for Disney books. Wow. So there's one for your daughter. There's one for my da- daughters, I guess, although only one daughter of reading age yeah. in the folks' household. You know how impressed my, uh, my oldest daughter is going to be when I tell her that I know the guy who illustrated this Disney book? Not at all, but <laughs> I will still think it's cool. See, uh, my, my daughter is impressed, but she's... Status is a big thing for her. Yeah. So she's really impressed. Yeah, she's a a bit of a status snob. We all know that about your daughter. Uh, We also got what I would describe as maybe a box about the size of two cinder blocks full of Tim Tams, which I now believe to be Australian candy. Huh. From Claire Hammond. I, man, I would hope that if I were trying to like make up an Australian candy in order to make fun of like foreign candy, I would hope I could come up with something as good as Tim Tams. It's a perfect name for Australian candy. It really is. Sent to us by Claire Hammond a long time, and I would say probably the co-main event podcast's most generous listener. At this point, does she count as a, a patron? The, our, our, our patron? She might be. Our benefactor? Yeah. yeah. I, that that's a fitting role. She's I think, the closest thing the CME has to like an actual employer. So don't leave here today without me giving you half those Tim Tams. Oh, I'm gonna take some Tim Tams with me. There's enough Tim Tams in there to kill a grown man. I'll be throwing Tim Tams out the window of a moving car on my way home. Three rounds as usual this week for the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor spent the last week flying all over the world, bickering like a couple of adolescent brothers on vacation with their big bald dad. Somehow, it wasn't totally terrible. 
And in round number two, Justin Gaethje and Louise Palomino brawled like a couple of mill workers fighting over the last Lucy cigarette. L.C. Davis and Hideo Takoro had a nice little fight, and Joe Warren's bantamweight title reign ended in a blood-curdling scream. Who says there's no life outside the UFC? And in round number three, Ricardo Lamas and Chad Mendez have considerately agreed to fight in the middle of the afternoon in Fairfax, Virginia this Saturday. So, as Ben Folks might say, you can still watch Watch other people's kids play basketball later on. That's weird. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But right now, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from John Oaks. He writes, so Brendan Schaub is moving to 205 because, you know, he's not going to remember his own name in a couple more fights at heavyweight. Does this seem like a bad decision to you versus retirement? Changing weight class usually doesn't yield results, but this particular move seems extra bad. Schaub, for the most part, isn't getting mobbed because opponents are bigger. He has a suspect chin and has holes in his game that are getting exploited by technique at the notoriously lax heavyweight level. Also, this isn't like a normal weight class change most life light heavyweights are the same size as 70 percent of the heavyweights difference is they eat cleaner are going to be quicker have better cardio and are still going to hit hard as hell maybe he has a chance with some of the old timers like shogun but i have a feeling shab is out to prove prove himself to be quote-unquote elite and that seems like a direct path to retirement strewn with just as many concussions as at heavyweight maybe more what do you guys think who do you see him beating at light heavyweight if any one. This is a good question here, and I think that uh, this is something we've talked about before, as the, the weight class change as the fighter's false friend. And I do think that this is a good point here, with, because especially when you go from being a 6'4", 250-some-odd pound uh, heavyweight to being a 6'4", you know what, like walking around weight 230-ish uh, light heavyweight, you're dealing with a lot of the same kind of dudes, except they're better athletes, generally speaking, Right. At light heavyweight, yes. yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I mean they are heavyweights who keep themselves in decent condition, right? Well, I mean, there's some and, guys, and especially in in mixed martial arts, where like the heavyweight cutoff and the light heavyweight cutoff, uh, like basically, if you are anywhere sub two fifty, it behooves you to get down to light heavyweight if you are a mixed martial arts fighter, right? Because uh, for the most part, you're going to be fighting enormous giants at the heavyweight division, like, you know, heavyweight champion Cain Velasquez, I guess, notwithstanding. But like most MMA light heavyweights are enormous dudes. So I think, yeah, the, the point is well taken. Well, but I, I'm, it makes me wonder, like, how much of Brendan Schaub, like, did he talk himself into thinking that he had a problem uh, with all these enormous dudes he had to keep fighting? Because you think about it, like, his loss, his last loss to Travis Brown, right? Like, Travis Brown definitely falls under the enormous dude category like there's he's one of those dudes where there's not even a question of whether he could get down there and make a go of it as a light heavyweight just physically he's way too big yeah one of travis brown's legs weighs 205 pounds yeah so uh i could see how if you're brendan Schaub, you look at that and you tell yourself like you know why i lost that travis brown fight that dude's just too damn big man and i mean i'm sure that's probably part of it probably feels that way when that dude is on top of you flattening you out and, and and feeding you some leather but at the same time, like, I wonder, does he realize, like, hey, you know, if you weren't, if you weren't quick enough to, to out, to beat Andre Olovsky to the punch, those guys at light heavyweight are all going to be a little quicker. Like, 
what's the trade-off? Because I do think like you maybe you don't have to worry so much about the power, your suspect chin, uh, as it's put here, if you go down to light heavyweight. Those guys don't hit quite as hard as the heavyweights. But I think that the trade-off in like speed and athleticism kind of negates any value you get out of that. I agree with you. Is it wrong of the cynic in me to forecast that a lot of UFC fighters are going to be dropping weight soon? Oh, here we go. And being like, ah, it's a lifestyle thing I've been thinking about. You, you Wait, so what you're saying is maybe around the same time that the, this super strict drug testing program it's going to implement, a lot of guys might think about getting leaner. Yeah, there might be some diet changes floating yeah. around. A lot of guys getting new trainers. Okay. Working on that. Uh, Changing up their diet. Working diets. on flexibility. Maybe going paleo. Uh huh. I think there's going to be a lot of guys working on functional strength can instead you, of doing the powerlifting that they have been doing before. Can you do synthetic testosterone on the paleo diet? That's I don't know. See now, now you're making statements over there. I'm just <laughs> I, I, I'm just talking over here. I see what here. you're saying. I, I'm I'm going to be curious. I think we should definitely keep an eye on that when that drug testing program actually goes into effect. I think maybe it's a little too early now to be to look at people's weight class change, especially a guy like Brendan Schaub. I could see how you'd look at that one and say he's looking for a, a career shot in the arm, especially after Joe Rogan went all intervention on him on the right. podcast. Everybody's talking about him. Like that makes people start to look at you as if your career is already over and it's right. just, they're waiting for you to realize it. No, no doubt about it. This is a guy that needs like a, a, a career resurgence here. And I think that that's probably uh, the driving onus behind going down to 205 pounds. I don't want to throw Brendan Schaub under the bus. Like we suspect him of being a PEDs user user because we don't have any reason to suspect that i'm just saying as a general trend i think you might be seeing a lot of guys getting lean coming in the next year or two now let me let me ask you this though because you know this kind of speaks to john oaks's question and the point that you made about light heavyweights being basically as big as heavyweights a lot of the time which i think is perfectly valid the first thing I would say is if we look at Brendan Schaub's losses, you mentioned the one to Travis Brown. Right. Obviously, Andre Arlovsky is a guy who is not a huge heavyweight, uh, but is a guy who's who's uh, pretty lean at like 235 pounds or 240 pounds or whatever he weighs. And that, uh, and that was a close read, shitty fight. So right. that one you know could have gone either way. The other losses, Schaub's other losses are to Ben Rothwell, Antonio Rodrigo, Nogueira, and Roy Nelson. Um, you know... Most of most of whom are on the big side, I guess you would say, of heavyweights. Uh, so does he actually have a chance here? Is there is there, you know, some science behind this going down to two hundred five? Is he going to find some success? Especially since the other thing I would point out is that the light heavyweight division at this point is damn near as shallow, arguably shallower than the heavyweight division. You get down to you know, the, the top 10 to 15 spots on those official UFC rankings. And you're down there with guys like Dan Henderson, Fabio Maldonado, uh, Little Nog, Rafael Cavalcante, Shogun, who John Oaks mentioned in his question. Uh, Patrick Cummins is down there. Who's to say Brennan Schaub wouldn't have a shot against that caliber of dude? Uh, you think uh, Brendan Shaw versus Patrick Cummins is a good matchup for Brendan Shaw? I'm not so sure. I mean, no, I, I, I like, see your point. Like but Fabio yeah, okay. Maldonado, like Dan Henderson could hit him with the right hand, and that would probably be about it, right? But like, yeah, okay, I see what you're. I see your point there, but I also think like if you are looking for the quickest path to the title, heavyweight and flyweight are like your two divisions right there, right? Like. At light heavyweight, you know, you can maybe look down there at the the bottom half of the rankings and say, okay, some of those guys are not that great. But man, the the top seven or eight dudes at at light heavyweight, 
those are all really tough dudes. Right, yeah, you're not going to beat any of those guys. But like like I said, Brennan Schaub's 2-4 and four at heavyweight, dating back to the summer of 2011. This guy needs a fresh start, and if he's not quite ready to hang him up after the infamous uh, intervention that you spoke about on the Joe Rogan podcast, like... It seems like he's a little bit between a rock and a hard place to me. And so if he's going to wipe the slate clean even a little bit and get granted even a little bit more rope by going down to light heavyweight, like, I don't know that he has any other choice, really. Yeah, well, I mean, he could uh, retire and do that podcast. He's, they sound sounds like he's making good money from that podcast. I mean, we, we know firsthand how lucrative the podcasting it's business like printing can be. your own money, yeah. having a gold mine in the backyard. Just put an ATM on the lawn. But, you know, I wonder if... I've heard a lot of fighters talk about how sometimes it's not even just like the money side of uh, that makes them continue on as fighting, but just that they feel like that's the identity, right? Like the the podcast is called The Fighter and the Kid. If he retires, is it still The Fighter and the Kid? Is it's <laughs> like, is it the former fight? Like I can see how maybe that might motivate some people to think like, well, I don't even if I could financially be done and do something else, who will I be? What will my identity be? Uh, and maybe that motivates them to continue on. I'll be very curious to see who the UFC matches him up against. I think that's going to tell us a lot about whether the UFC sees a continued future in the Brendan Shaw business and really wants to take a slow uh, approach there with, with 205 and let him build himself back up, or whether they throw him right in there and say, like, all right, let's find out if this is going to work or not. Yeah, that probably will be interesting. I think, though, that being a fighter is kind of like being like a coach, uh, like even after you retire and go into broadcasting, like everyone else on the show is still going to call you coach, right? Like Dick Vital, <laughs> people are still calling Dick Vital coach. Okay. So, like, I think that I'm not going to take the name of their show away just right. because Brandon Schaub might retire someday. How, how, how magnanimous of you? Well, I've, and if that was going to be a problem, then it would have like probably been good for them to think of a different name for the show, right? Because the dude is going to retire at some point. Well, the other guy is like a forty-something comedian, and he goes by He's the kids. By the kids. So, so I guess so maybe they're not too committed we to can like, call Brendan Shaw the, the fighter for the rest of his life. <laughs> All right, next question comes from Caesar Fernandez. He writes: Brock Lesnar re-signed with the WWE. Could you please not read this email and never talk about him again? Too late for at least part of that. Yeah. Well, he, we have said in the past publicly that one of the regrets about the co-main event podcast is that it didn't it never existed during the Brock Lesnar era so we never got to talk about the dark lord of the sith in real time back when he was the uh, the big draw and the champion in the UFC heavyweight division let's put a bow on the man's career here and and as Caesar Fernandez urges us to do uh, maybe have one final discussion about Brock Lesnar and then let's let's let him lie in his shallow WWE grave until I, next year's WrestleMania when he goes after know, the Undertaker again. I'm not of the mind that we have to never talk about him again because, hey, what if George St. Pierre never comes back? Do we have to never talk about George St. Pierre again? No, like, I'm being facetious. Like, obviously, we'll talk about Brock Lesnar. I mean, we can talk about him, but like, let's make a note to talk about him the way we talk about retired fighters, not right. as in like you know, passing around rumors that he's going to come back and fight Fedor in the summer or something. Right. Like, let's let's all stop doing that just completely baseless speculation. Even if, like, I don't care if he shows up ringside at a UFC event, let the man just watch some fights in peace and don't take it as a sign that, you know, he's doing contract negotiations in the background. So I, I do think, though, that it, it's a tough legacy to, to really know what to make of, especially when you consider... Like five and three for his career, right? Four and three in the UFC. One, like just over half, you know, his UFC fights. It's and yet, like his his presence in the sport seemed to mean so much. It's tough to 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 separate like 
what did he mean as an actual athlete and a fighter in the UFC? And what did he mean to the business side of MMA in the UFC? Because he did bring that sort of attention. I mean, hell, when he announces that he's going back to pro wrestling, he does it fucking LeBron James style, like the decision on ESPN. They're a sports network, Jan. They're over here talking about WWE. Yeah, yes, they are. I mean, that's and that is the kind of attention that he garners just by being Brock Lesnar, which is sort of like, like if there's a uh, like a microcosm or an example for his entire life, maybe that's it, right? That just by being Brock Lesnar, like he gets to go on ESPN with noted professional wrestling fan Michelle Beadle interviewing him just to announce no change in his professional status, right? Like essentially <laughs> to announce nothing. Um, but now that, that Brock is, we believe, walking away once and for all from mixed martial arts until next month when Scott Coker is cited in the front row of WWE Extreme Rules, uh, I do uh, like, want to talk about his career a little bit. I, you know, when, when this news first broke last week, I wrote something on Bleacher Report just about kind of what you were talking about, that like his final departure now from the sport leaves us with a lot of sort of unanswerable questions and maybe in the end like makes him a hard person to define because we are left with all these questions like, you know, was it the diverticulitis or was it his own kind of limited skill set and the fact that he came to mixed martial arts very late in his athletic life that ultimately did him in as a top level fighter. And like, you know, like I've said from the beginning, like, I feel like it's kind of uh, fascinating, but ultimately obviously unknowable to think about like, what if Brock Lesnar had gone into MMA right after college, you know, after he won the national championship at the University of Minnesota, I think in the year 2000. Like, what if he had come into the sport in like 2001 or 2002, and then had been afforded the normal maturation process of a of a heavyweight fighter? Like, what if he had had gotten you know eight or ten fights under his belt before he showed up in the UFC? Would would that have made him like even more of a like revelatory figure than he eventually turned out being, or like would his shortcomings, frankly, of not liking to get hit by other giant heavyweight dudes, uh, have like? you know, come to the fore sooner and like he would have washed out. We'll never know, but I feel like it's kind of fascinating to just think about that since he was such a special case. Yeah. You know, and I think it also like the, the diverticulitis question that that leaves us with also uh, create, like that's the extra little element of mystery you need, right? Like if you were going to write like a novel with Brock Lesnar as a character in it, you would need the diverticulitis as a complicating factor. Like otherwise the arc would be too simple. You know, you, you need that to be able to throw that in there and say, but what about if he hadn't been sick? You know, maybe everything could have been different. I mean, I don't really think it would have been because I think we'd already seen some of those, those shortcomings uh, in him. I think that uh, too, it's one of those things where, I think I've talked about this before in relation to Boss Rutten, where you could see him like in on the road, like with the IFL, where he'd walk into a hotel lobby and you could see people looking at him like, I have no idea who that man is, but I feel like he's probably famous. Yeah. And you, and same thing with Brock Lesnar. I mean, sheer physical size has something to do with it. But uh, my, my personal favorite Brock Lesnar story is when I was in Columbus, Ohio for one of the UFCs and they had the Arnold Classic around that time. And I was there to cover the UFC event. Uh, I think it was the one where Rampage Jackson fought Keith Jardine. And I was also going to do a magazine story on Brock Lesnar. And he was supposed to fight Frank Mir in the rematch that time. That fight was booked. And I was supposed to go to this party that being put on by like a supplement company where Brock Lesnar is the guest of honor uh, and his wife. Uh, they were both there. And I had just heard like hours beforehand via the internet. It's like this, oh, Mir's hurt. He's pulling out of this fight or something. You know, and so I go to this party and I'm introduced to Brock Lesnar and everything, and, and we're standing there talking. And I was like, well, did you hear this this rumor that, that Mir's out of the fight? And they were just like, 
No, no. And it, I remember when I said it, his wife looked at me like she had been asleep for like the conversation, and then just like t- suddenly woke up, <laughs> like like I was, she was. I was, I'd finally said something that made me worth paying attention to, um, and they were like, "No, no, they would have called us. They, that's that can't be true. We would have heard that by now." And of course, it was true. And by the next morning, like we ate at a hotel buffet together, and then by then he had heard the news, and he had spent that morning watching videos of Shane Carwin on the internet, and was just kind of like. I don't know. I guess I guess that guy's all right. That kind of stuff. And it was like he that he always struck me as that one of those dudes when you interview him, like where he had, I don't want to say you know a a simple approach to things, but had a certain lack of self awareness that made him act like every question you asked was stupid. Like he he was so unwilling to consider anything from any point of view that was not his. That like when you offered up a different point of view, he would just dismiss it without considering it, which made him kind of difficult to interview. Yeah. It's also a fascinating way to go through life. Well, and that's the thing about him too, right? Because he has gone through life that way. Yeah, and entirely. He, and because he considers you to be a puny human and a mere mortal yes. until you tell him that Frank Mir's out of the fight. And then it's like you slapped Sable in the face. <laughs> uh, let's do, let's try to get through these other two before we run out of time here. This question from Ben H. He writes, I live in a flyover state. St. Paul, Minnesota, the STP, if you nasty. And I couldn't care less if MMA is ever legalized in New York. I struggle to understand why it me or what it means to non-New York-based MMA fans, except for making it even less likely the UFC or Bellator will come to their one-horse town. The the view from my couch is the same, whether the fight is taking place in Rio, in Rio Soccer Stadium, Madison Square Garden, or on a Montana hillside. Am I just a selfish asshole, and is this MMA's last hurdle to total legitimacy, or am I totally justified in my bitterness? Um, discuss. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to come down more on the side of Ben H here than on the opposite side, because I do believe that despite the fact that we are MMA fans and MMA reporters and like there is some kind of uh, arm's length uh, justification or like uh, uh, we we have a, a, a vested interest in seeing that the sport that we cover is legal in most places here in these United States. Uh, but at the same time, this is my pick as the most overreported MMA story. Maybe, you know, this uh, of recent memory, like that it always comes back up. It, it shows the New York bias, the East Coast bias of the MMA literati out there in their New York condos writing about this story because Ben go. H is right. As I've said on this show before, it's the same. Like the UFC shows are the same no matter where you where they are as long as you're watching them from home, which, you know, 99.9% of the audience is. Uh, so I don't really care either if it gets legalized in New York, except for kind of like vague philosophical reasons. Um, and I understand that, it's, that it would be, you know, open up Madison Square Garden as this kind of like marquee spot and a place for, for the UFC to maybe call home on the East Coast. Uh, but at the same time, I got to say, man, I am with Ben H. I, I almost don't care. No, I, I have stopped caring. I, I'm not even almost with him. I think that at this point, like it is only this thing that we hold up as like, like we we have set it in our minds as this point that like we have to get, like as if we get to that point, then we've made it, right? Like as a sport, like the the rest of the sports world will embrace us and let us join the club and all that stuff. And I don't think that's true. Like, I think we all realize that the holdups in New York are not like the same old holdups that they used to be about, like people genuinely concerned that MMA was this dangerous, barbaric sport. It's just kind of arbitrary at this point. And I think it's this, it's like when, like you ever have an argument with, with your wife where like 
you get to the point where it doesn't even matter what the original argument was about. Like you've just got, you've both got it in your heads that you just want to win this argument. Uh, and you've almost even forgotten how it started. And if you trace it back, you'll, you'll be embarrassed at what you originally started arguing about. That's what it feels like for MMA fans. Like we set this as this goal in our minds so long ago, uh, and now we can't let it go. And plus it's just drawn on for so long that I'm over it, man. I don't care. I mean, would it be cool to go see a fight in Madison Square Garden? Sure. That'd be cool. But man, like if I live my life and that never happens, I feel like that'd be perfectly fine. Yeah. And maybe the best reason to legalize MMA in, in New York or like the most, uh, the best reason I guess would be like, so that you could stop having underground shows and in, in like in weird, gym in Queens. Yeah. Right there on Steinway and Broadway. Yeah. yeah put I some butch, one of those. butcher paper up in the windows and yeah, there you go. The chiropractor is there being the ringside doctor. If, oh. they, if they even have one, if you're lucky. And I mean, while that scene is frankly awesome, like eh, dangerous, we don't want to see that happen. <laughs> yes, yes. So, I think that would probably be the best thing to come out of a New York state legalization of mixed martial arts. Last question this year for this episode from Josh Emmons, who writes, yeah, so Ronda Rousey showed up at WrestleMania and palled around with the rock. And now people are talking about her and the rock having a tag team match against triple H and Stephanie McMahon at next year's WrestleMania. And I can't tell if they're being serious or not. (laughs) All that time we spent worrying that Ronda would ditch the UFC for movies. But what if the WWE cuts her an enormous check like they did for Brock? Why do I feel nervous and sweaty? Talk me down, you guys. Uh, So yes, Ronda Rousey, highly publicized out of the crowd moment at WrestleMania with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, and she did an okay job. Like she she hip tossed Triple H. I watched the video on the internet today. Did you actually watch this WrestleMania? No, this is the first WrestleMania in a while that I have sat out, and fittingly, it got rave reviews from all the people who did watch it. So perhaps I, I, I made a gaffe. I realized that I could not I could not fire up the Twitter uh, while this was going on. It really tells me something about the people I've chosen to surround myself with that I couldn't just I could not get away from WrestleMania tweets. Made you too mad to well, see it. I mean, just, yeah. just sitting over there simmering. I don't. I don't like feel Castle folks. Any way about it is the problem, and it's just like a constant bombardment of it. it almost made me wish that people would start talking again about other people's kids playing basketball. <laughs> uh well, you know, like I was going to say, Ronda Rousey did a good job at WrestleMania. I thought she got out there in the ring with the Rock, hip tossed Triple H, put Stephanie McMahon in a weird little arm bar that looked like it didn't hurt. Uh, the whole time she was out there, she made the face that people who aren't used to being on professional wrestling broadcasts make where they're not sure if they're supposed to look mean or if they're supposed to smile. Uh, she'd have a decent <laughs> little turn on the mic, and then it was over. But now there are rumors that she's going to do more. She just sent out a tweet today that said uh, that it's just getting started over there with the WWE universe. But I would say to set Josh Emmons's mind at ease, that remember the UFC just inked her to a contract extension. So she's not going anywhere for a little while anyway. Uh, and, uh, I think that that would probably be one of the reasons that the UFC would let her do this appearance at WrestleMania. Cause it knows that she's not going anywhere. Uh, she's been a professional wrestling, a public professional wrestling fan for a long time. I guess in the end, we should probably not be surprised that she showed up at WrestleMania, but I don't think that we're even close to the, to the, uh, reality where we need to worry. Like she's going to, um, go over there and take the title from AJ Lee or whoever has it. I, I don't even know if that's a real person. I'll take your word for it. Uh, that's but, UFC fighter CM Punk's wife, Ben. Okay. Educate yourself. First of all, CM Punk has yes, yet to fight in the <laughs> UFC. But he has those pub- publicity photos out now where he's wearing the gloves. Man, Al Capone uh, <laughs> had, the, had the gloves in a photo. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean anything, Chad. 
Uh, yeah, I, I though think that if you're worried that uh, you're going to wake up one morning and Ronda Rousey's going to be gone and there's going to be a note on the pillow um, telling you she just, she just couldn't do this MMA stuff anymore, I don't think you have to worry about that quite yet. Uh, I, I do think that uh, eventually... I mean, if you're hoping like for 15 more years of rousiness, you might want to pull that back a little bit. But I think she's going to be here for a little while. I can't get away from that idea now that once I figured out that, you know, if Ronda Rousey can hip toss and armbar people in 15 seconds, maybe she just does that till she's like 60. She's rolling out there, you know, 30 years from now, just taking out whoever they got. I think somebody mentioned Misha this. Tate's daughter. <laughs> Armbar on Misha Tate's daughter somebody, in 15 seconds. Somebody uh, proposed, uh, maybe on Twitter or something, was saying, what are the odds that uh, Ronda Rousey just gets tired of it and does the Frank Shamrock sweet move of call me, giving them the belt back and saying, call me when you have somebody you think can beat me. And also the sweet-ass move of uh, engraving her initials on the belt before giving it back. Now, see, if nice. Ronda did that, it would actually hold some water though, right? Like Frank Shamrock kind of walked away right before things got good down yeah, there in yes. that division. So different stories, maybe a little bit. Anyway, that's going to do it this week for listener mail. If you have a question, a comment, or a concern to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. You can go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the mixed martial arts news and notes that happen from Monday to Friday when we're not recording the podcast. It catches you up in a funny way you'll like it go there and sign up for it as for right now though we're gonna go ahead and get started with round number one Well, Ben, Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo have spent the last week or so on their world tour with opening acts ZZ Top and Loverboy out there going from town to town, just kind of doing the same thing over and over again, having a contentious press conference and eventually doing a, a face-off, pose-down thing, which at this point, are only discernible from each other because Conor McGregor wore a different $800 sport coat to each one of them. Uh, I guess I'm kind of amazed, though, that this world tour for the Aldo-McGregor fight didn't turn out completely unbearable to me because you would think that to do this style of thing where you take the same two fighters day after day after day, you know, press events, one-on-ones, press conference, face-off, that that would get pretty goddamn repetitive. And maybe it just speaks to like the level, either the level of this rivalry or Conor McGregor's ability to spin a yarn that even though this thing was like painstakingly captured moment to moment on UFC embedded, I came out of it feeling like it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. What? Way to, way to just damn with faint praise there, Chad Dundas. <laughs> Why they did a good job, you know, considering. It's over now, right? Today is the last one? Well, where are I, they I today? Believe, or Dublin maybe, is the last one, I think. Yeah, right? I, think I don't know if Dublin that's today. today or tomorrow. Or, okay, maybe tomorrow. 
who knows in, in Ireland. I mean, I've lost track. Knows? It's a crazy life of being on the road, man, being on tour, <laughs> one town after the other. Who can even say for sure what day it is at any given time in Ireland? They, even they don't know. It, you know, it, it's impossible to know. So let's say it's over around now, like this early this week. It's yeah. coming to a close. We're I mean, it's, think- it's Grun's Day over there in Ireland. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, like the question of like, is this going to, is it so much hype that we're just going to feel kind of sick of it? I mean, yes, but then it's going to stop. At least, you know, it's going to have a little pause while everybody goes back to their gyms and we move on for a little while and then the fight's going to come back around, which kind of makes me wonder like if the timing was, if it was too far out or if it was genius to do it that way because got a bunch of people talking about it all right now and yet the fight is still, like it's in like July, right? Yeah, like, it's three months away pretty so, much. I mean – I, and I talked about this a little bit and somebody asked me in my Twitter mailbag, like, I don't know about for you, but I think for anybody who's been following this sport any length of time, I don't even start to really seriously consider that a fight three months from now is actually going to happen. Like, I don't even, I don't, I don't want to get my hopes up for that yet because we've seen how that goes. Like, if, if we get to fight week and everybody is still there, then okay. Then I'm going to start to let myself get excited. But three months from now, you know, that's, that is speculative. Right. And injuries notwithstanding, by the time we get to this thing, like this weekend's Chad Mendez, Ricardo Lamas fight is like the tiny little snowball at the top of the hill. It starts rolling, <laughs> right? Like pretty soon this thing's going to turn into an avalanche where we're going to do like 27 events in the, or 25 events in the next 27 weeks, I think it is. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot to think about. But uh, but this does this does give you an idea though of the potential hype value. Yeah, for no, this. I feel like this was a success all the way around. I feel like this actually came out pretty well um, to to do this kind of like quote unquote world tour. I think you'd have to be careful of who you did it with because, like for for whatever reason, Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo seem like perfect hate partners for each other. They do, uh, as it turns out, like. Uh, you know, Connor and, and clearly Connor McGregor is a smart dude and, and like very, uh, you know, well spoken. He's got the gift of gab, like almost anything that he says seems like, uh, good hype for the fight. And then you juxtapose him against Jose Aldo, who like seems like a murderer, frankly, like an actual killer who at one point during this world tour said he would cut Connor McGregor's head off, murder him and cut his head off. Uh, and hearing that from Jose Aldo, I was like, is he serious? Like, <laughs> it seems like seems like puffery, but maybe he, he, he's serious. No, he does. McGregor does seem to bring out just the like cold blooded right. murderer. And so my question is, like, clearly that is being done on purpose by Conor McGregor because he's smart enough and and articulate enough to not do that by accident. Um, and clearly, like, he would I think is gonna is doing that to like. Because he wants Jose Aldo to fight angry, and Conor McGregor is a left-handed counterpuncher. He wants to knock him out, right? So I guess my question to you as we get into this round is, is that smart? Is it smart to make Jose Aldo mad? Well, when you're Conor McGregor, I feel like you kind of – you're already committed to a course of action from, like, the groundwork that you've laid down here, right? Like, I, I think that there's kind of only one way you can go with this. Uh, and I guess it's not any – it's not like it's going to make things – any worse on you uh, against Jose Aldo, right? Because what we, what have we said about Jose Aldo before, right? Like that your best chance is 
to get him tired, basically. To wear, you know, to be like one of those wrestlers or something who just wears him down and hopes that he'll collapse in the fifth round. And it doesn't, you know, Conor McGregor's, that's not going to be his approach to any of these fights. So he has to have something else. If you're a counter puncher and you want to just make the guy so mad that he comes right after you and walks into a left hand, I mean, I guess that's a, a as fine a strategy as you can hope for. I'm really surprised because, you know, you look at this fight on paper, obviously McGregor's a good fighter. Everybody keeps talking. The guys who have fought him all talk about, you know, his his mastery of, of distance and space in the cage. He obviously has a lot of power uh, in that division, uh, and, you know, that can change anybody's night. But you watch that kind of stance he uses, and you look at that and you think, explain to me why Jose Aldo doesn't just chew your legs up like a lawnmower with those leg kicks. Right. You know, that's what it seems like would happen. Um, so I guess maybe that, if you're hoping, like, I can enrage him enough that he wants to just charge right at me and he doesn't even think about that. I don't know. I don't see Jose Aldo being that kind of fighter. I see him being the one more who's like, well, how about if I kick this guy in the legs until he can't move? And then I take my time uh, beating him the way a cat would toy with a mouse. Right. If anything, though, like I would wager maybe that's part of the strategy, just what you said, though, just because the way Jose Aldo has fought recently during his UFC career uh, would be like kind of a maybe nightmare matchup for Conor McGregor. Now, like Aldo is going to be yet another UFC opponent for Conor McGregor that at least the way he wants to fight is going to play to the strengths of Conor McGregor too, right? He's not a wrestler. He's probably not going to go out there and immediately try to take the guy down. But Jose Aldo is also going to play to your strengths as well as anyone in the world. Like, he might just turn out to be better than you at the thing that you think you're good at. And the way that he has fought recently of just being, you know, not necessarily being incredibly uh, dynamic or creating a bunch of highlights, but just, like, throwing technically perfect punches and and technically perfect baseball bat leg kicks like that would be the guy if i was conor mcgregor that i would be the most worried about fighting so maybe that is part of the strategy to enrage him and like so he you know he he comes out maybe like the wec jose aldo and like tries to run full speed at you and do a double flying knee or whatever which might be better for conor mcgregor i don't know yeah uh are you surprised that the reactions during some of these press events because like uh, New York seemed to be a very pro McGregor town. Toronto from the reception seemed to be a pro McGregor town. And obviously now they're heading over to Dublin where we'll be lucky if we don't get out of it without a, f- a full scale riot. But like, it seems like Conor McGregor kind of has people behind him in, in this matchup and a lot of vitriol for Jose Aldo, which I didn't expect. Well, yeah, I mean, I did not expect vitriol for Jose Aldo, but. Uh, you know as well as I do how Americans, how especially white dude Americans or white dude North Americans, everybody loves to to be Irish when it uh, when it's convenient. You know, St. Patrick's Day rolls around and everybody who's like a sixteenth Irish uh, wants to claim that heritage. It's a very very popular uh, heritage to claim in the United States, way, way more so than like you know you didn't see a whole lot of people uh, playing up their German uh, heritage when uh, when Dennis Seaver is fighting. So. <laughs> to some extent, that doesn't surprise. Also, we've talked about it before. The dude is just charismatic, man. Yeah. He's a lot yes. of fun. So yes. I can see how people have gotten behind him a lot. I wonder, though, like if this is one of those things where our perception of the people is influencing our perception of the fight. Because I looked at the the betting odds for this one. Have you looked at them? No, not since I saw the story that McGregor briefly opened as a, as the favorite. Right. It's right now where you would expect it to have like stabilized a little bit, right? Uh, Aldo is a minus 150 or 140 around there, uh, favorite with McGregor going off at, at plus 130 or so. 
I mean, that to me seems a lot closer than you'd expect given what we, like, what a limited amount we've seen of Conor McGregor against top competition in the UFC and how we've seen Jose Aldo up against just absolutely everybody, you know, right. Chad Mendez and on down. Right. And I mean, that's a symptom, like not just the betting odds, but I think that's kind of going on industry-wide. It does feel like because McGregor has been such a magnetic personality and he talks such a good game, it seems like a lot of people have talked themselves into thinking like that, like you said, this fight is closer than it is. And maybe it is. I don't know. Like that's the thing we keep saying about Conor McGregor. We have no idea how good he is. But like if you expect Conor McGregor to beat Jose Aldo in a striking match, you're basically saying you think Conor McGregor is the greatest featherweight of all time. Yes. Right? Because that's yes. Jose Aldo and he's destroyed everyone that he's fought. So, you know, when I think about it, I still come away undecided that I feel like this fight is even going to be competitive. Like it could just be that Jose Aldo just destroys him. How many uh, MMA fans do you think we we lose or enrage to the point of them uh, being so brokenhearted they leave if this one gets called off due to injury? Because we still be got bad. a long time. After the world tour, yeah, dude, that would be bad. Tour. Imagine, That'd you know, be like CeCe DeVille checking into rehab. <laughs> <laughs> right before the poison was supposed to come to your town. Man, oh man, what a heartbreak. It sounds like be. maybe you've been through that one before. <laughs> you, you, it's a little close to home, man. I mean, just imagine like we do this whole world tour. Everybody's going nuts. They go back home, start their training camps. Uh, you know, three weeks from now, we hear, uh, Jose Aldo broke his ankle or something and it's off. It's, it's not even off man, for like a little bit. Just hearing you say that makes that seem like a possibility. <laughs> I don't like it. No. And see, that's the thing. I feel like the, the experienced MMA fan, has to guard his feelings a little bit and not not act like this is an inevitability that we'll actually see this. Fight. I hope that I'm actually excited for this fight. And for me, me like the thing that is most interesting about it is the unknown because we still have no idea how good Conor McGregor is. He could go out there and blow Jose Aldo's doors off, and I wouldn't be I would be surprised. But I guess I wouldn't be that surprised. So, man, it's just there's no way to tell, and that's what I love about it. I could kind of like I'm. I, I'm at the point now in my fan, my MMA fanhood that like I can kind of do without one press conference day after day after day and all the talk. <laughs> I just like want to watch the fight and this seems like a compelling fight to me. So that that's the most interesting thing here to me. Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, did you see the story out this week about my girl, Betch Kohea? trying to go home to Rio for a little R&R two okay. days after her big title fight right. with Ronda Rousey was announced, and uh, her boyfriend gets into a brawl on the street with a cab driver. Like you do. Now, first of all, like it is kind of a dick move, Ben, to call a cab and then decide you're going to have dinner across the street and you don't need the cab and you don't tell the guy till he shows up. But I don't think anybody needs to be pulling their guns out over that kind of uh you know, altercation. So this week I'm just saying, are you fucking kidding me? Brazilian cab drivers, leave my girl Betch Cohea alone. She's got bigger things to worry about. We're out here trying to shock the world. You gonna, you gonna get us into this for a, just a, a couple reals? Yeah, two that's dollars? What that's what we're doing? Was? Come on. You need you seven reals that bad? Pulling your gun out. Fucking kidding me. Well, Chad, speaking of the world tour, uh, Danny Downs and I wrote about this a little bit in our trading shots column this weekend, but uh, last week, you may have seen in Toronto, uh, a, a reporter asked, uh, Jose Aldo if, you know, if he was still unhappy with his pay. Aldo has complained about his pay often in the past. Whether, uh, the lawsuit filed against the UFC has had any effect on his pay. Whether he ever thought about joining the lawsuit. Um, 
Fair questions, I would say, especially since, uh, you know, not only has Jose Aldo complained often about his pay in the past, the UFC has also bragged about how much money it's spent promoting this thing on this world tour and how much money it's going to make off of the actual fight. So it's reasonable to turn to the champion and say, how do you feel about your pay now? Do you, do you sure. think that you're getting sure. enough of it? Um, I mean, throwing in the stuff about the UFC lawsuit, maybe that's uh, more aimed at Dana White, who's standing right there, and maybe also not the best time to get a good answer out of Jose Aldo, but still, hey, whatever. Dana White inserts himself as Jose Aldo's uh, answer is being translated and calls uh, the reporter, Brian D'Souza, a dick. Um, I got to give my are you fucking kidding me to Dana White here because – Take yourself out of that situation for a second, and what happens? That guy asks a question. Jose Aldo responds saying, I have no complaints. I'm totally fine. Other people can do what they want to do, but I'm happy. And there's a non-story out of that. Right. All you have to do, as Data White right there, is say absolutely nothing. And the thing just dies on its own. Nothing, nothing comes out of it. No ammunition gets used against you at all. Instead, you make sure that there's a story happening. Fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Imagine Lorenzo up there. Imagine Lorenzo in one of those those finely tailored suits of his, biceps of bulging against against some some fine wool suit. Imagine him saying something like just calling somebody a dick for asking a, a question. See, see, your brain won't even let you imagine it, Chad. You fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? If only he didn't have another business to run. Am I right? I guess you're if right. If only he didn't have workers to keep out of the damn union. All right, that's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two. Will Chad... Fun night of MMA on cable TV this weekend on Friday night at Bellator 135. You had some fun fights, including LC Davis uh, versus Hideo Takoro. Uh, and I'm going to say, you know, early fight of the year candidate. Uh, you also had uh, Joe Warren losing his Bellator bantamweight title to Marcus Galval via scream. Yep. Uh, not not exactly a masculine scream either, if we're being perfectly honest. Then you come back the next night uh, on NBC Sports for a World Series of Fighting. Uh, and, you know, you got your boy Justin Gaethje, uh, now the owner of a Wikipedia page, although as, nice. as you have noted, uh, there already is a flag up there for saying, uh, that it does not necessarily meet the, uh, citation requirement. So come on, people, let's get our, our Wikipedia game together. Tighten up your game, Justin Gaethje, Wikipedia writers. He goes out there and has just a wild, fun brawl with Luis Palomino. Uh, also, we saw uh, Tiago Silva on that one returning to action, uh, and Matt Hamill pulls out the last minute due to illness. So uh, Tiago Silva fights some dude who steps up from the undercard and promptly knocks him out. That's right. So a lot of great stuff happening there on the smaller shows there. Uh, what do you make of this this weekend, Chad? Uh, you noted it was one of the few UFC-less uh, weekends, and yet still a lot of MMA going on. Can, yeah. Can you can you digest it all? Yeah, like I think the, this is not an exaggeration. Between now and the beginning of October, there are only five Saturdays that don't have a UFC event on them. Wow. So uh, I hope that the people went out and did something and maybe caught up with Bellator and the World Series of Fighting via the DVR. That's what I did. Uh, me, me as well. Uh, couldn't get enough of this Justin Gaethje fight, to be honest with you. Justin Gaethje is out there. 
uh, with an e-cigarette sponsorship across the front of his shorts. He's out there uh, throwing cartwheel kicks and spinning elbows and acting like for the life of him, he wants to get knocked out so bad he can't even stand it. And uh, Luis Palmino is out there giving as good as he received in this fight until the, what was it, third round that we got the stoppage that came basically because of leg kicks, kicked the guy in the leg so much he couldn't stand up, and then we ended up getting a TKO on the uh, on the mat. But it's one of those fights that maybe kind of like the Nick Newell fight continues to build Justin uh, Gaethje's uh, leg legacy, legend, the legend of Justin Gaethje, but also kind of makes him look vulnerable, I would say. So, like, he's an interesting character right now in the mixed martial arts landscape as one of the more uh, interesting people fighting outside the UFC. Yeah, you you kind of put it there, like... In no way can you say that this was not a fun fight to watch. Like, it was super exciting. But one of the things that made it so exciting was uh, Justin Gates' geez, I'm going to say, cavalier attitude about uh, getting hit in the face. It was just kind of like, would wade right in there to to hit uh, Palomino and then kind of still stand there with his chin out like, what, don't you want to don't you want to get one back? And like, he was just kind of inviting that kind of fight. And it seemed like, he was probably the more skilled and athletically superior fighter. He probably didn't have to do that. And it kind of it does kind of make you wonder. It's one of those fights where you, you come away going, wow, that was a lot of fun to watch. I'm glad I sat through that. Uh, and it was really exciting. And I think if you went and you did that in the UFC right now, you might get murdered. Right. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, it makes me wonder, like, is he, is he thinking too much about our entertainment value. I mean, the guy is unbeaten, uh, but then again, you know, there is a little bit different caliber of lightweight in the UFC right now. Uh, and so I'm wondering, like, could you just get him to tighten up that game a little bit if he had to, uh, or is he just relying too much on having a hard head to, to, and that he can just stand there and trade with you until you fall down? Yeah, I think so. Like, you bring him over into the UFC, there's nothing saying that he wouldn't just turn out to be Jeremy Stevens, right? Like, a hard swinging guy who, who ultimately doesn't ever advance, you know, past the, the, the B tier or the middle tier of guys there. At this point, though, Justin Gaethje's 14 and 0. Uh, he's beat some guys too. Beat Melvin Gillard, beat Nick Newell. He's got a win over Dan Lousen. He's got a win over, uh, Jay Z Cavalcante, a win over Drew Fickett when he only had six fights way back in, uh, in, uh, 2012. Man, so Drew like, Fickett probably drunk for that. That's true. Like Come there's on. no, no telling what kind of shape anybody rolled into in that fight. But, uh, you get the, get the feeling Justin Gaethje also has some skills that he's not using. He was, at least according to the World Series of Fighting broadcast team, which I don't know if you want to take that to the bank where we already have citation issues here <laughs> in this round. So I don't know if you want, if you want to fact check this or what, but you know, an all American wrestler at Northern Colorado, uh, Big Sky Conference, what up? Frankly, what, what, uh, so, you know, he could probably use those skills a little bit more if he wanted to. But, uh, you know, he's in kind of a tough, tough position, man, being the lightweight champion of World Series of Fighting. Maybe he uh, understands the value of being an entertaining fighter when being in that position. Because if he was like, you know, a ground and pound guy or a guy that got a reputation as a grinder who kind of, you know, uh, just just sort of went out there and won decisions, uh, he would probably not be in the position that he is today like his profile would not be as high so that's probably bad for his future health i would think but maybe good for justin gaethje right now yeah and i guess that's the maybe the problem with trying to like extrapolate from this fight and see like well how would you do against other people against whom you might decide not to fight like this and it also makes you wonder like hey 
what the hell do we want from people, right? Like, we're going to complain. If he goes out there and he just, like, takes people down and grinds them out against the cage, we're going to complain about that. So if he goes out there and has a super fun brawl, we can't also complain about that. I mean, he ended up winning the damn fight. Like, he's undefeated. I can see how if he goes out there and thinks, like, all right, people say that this style might be risky uh, and that it might have some health consequences for me. How about if I just keep doing it until somebody makes me realize that I have to change? Like, I, I would think that would be a reasonable approach by him. And as long as it's producing fun fights that people are going to be talking about afterwards, you know World Series of Fighting isn't complaining because it's not like a whole lot of people were talking about like, oh, wait, Gaethje's fighting Luis Palomino? Oh, I got to see this. I've been a Palomino guy for a long time. You know, like, come on. that Excitement is the thing you have to bring to the table there. Right. And World Series of Fighting needs that kind of thing. Yeah, and they both did a good job of that. Like, I would watch Luis Palomino fight again if I, if I had to. If you had to. What's the future here of Gaethje, though? Like, he, this, he seems like a dude that the UFC would like to have if it could. Because he is, you know, 14-0, and 0, like we said, and he does bring... A, uh, a high excitement quotient to the, to the fight. Like, I have no idea what his contract status is and, and, you know, or what his future in World Series of Fighting is, but like, you gotta think he's looking to make the jump at some point, right? Yeah. Maybe at this point, your best bet is defend the title one more time and hope World Series of Fighting goes out of business. <laughs> well, let's shift gears on that sunny note over to Bellator. Ben, have we seen the last Joseph Ryan Warren at 38 years old, uh, loses via Chael Sonnen special from the first fight with, uh, with Paulo Filo, where he got caught in that armbar and screamed? That's what Joe Warren did here. Can't believe you made fun of the man scream, man, when he's getting his leg torn <laughs> know, apart by a knee bar. I... That was a harsh indictment by you. Feminine gestures, as Mike Tyson would say. Uh, but the, you know, I was really surprised in that one. It was one where, uh, Galval rose, rolls for that knee bar and just the, you know, the kind of classic situation people tell you to always beware of the knee bar in. And he just kind of keeps rolling with it, keeps staying after it. And then you realize like, oh shit, he's got it. Like he's actually got it and he, and he had it and he gives a little look like over his shoulder. He, he's got the leg extended. He's got the knee where he wants it. He gives a little look over his shoulder to Joe Warren as if to say, you're going to make me do this. Uh, and Joe Warren, you know, clearly is going to make him do it. And so then you could see it on Galval's face where he just goes, fuck it. And just like yanks really hard on the knee once or twice. And that's when the scream comes out and you know, it's a good stoppage at that point. Joe Warren's going to complain about it afterwards and say, I didn't tap. But the referee, they tell you beforehand in the locker room, like, look, if you're in a submission and you make like an audible noise of pain, I'm going to stop that. Like, I'm going to consider that a verbal submission. So don't do that. Like, everybody knows that rule uh, by this point. So you can't really complain too much about it. And it's not like he was working an escape there. Like, he was stuck. So it was like, do we really need to see your leg get bent in half like a like a licorice rope? Uh, that somebody's trying to fit all in their mouth at once. Like, I don't think so. I think we, we can go ahead and call that one good. Uh, I mean, I guess in a way, if Joe Warren has to lose, I'm glad not to see him get his brain bashed in, uh, to do it. Uh, I do, a, a part of me does, uh, feel a little bit sad to think about an MMA landscape without Joe Warren in it. But then, as you said, he is kind of getting on up there in years. Maybe he could transition to full-time, completely fun but unhelpful corner man. Yeah, I don't think you need to out. worry. We'll also we'll always have Joe Warren yelling at somebody from the corner, right? Put your hands on him, Scotty. Until they realize that that advice is not helpful at all. 
<laughs> uh, LC Davis and Hideo Tokoro had a pretty fun bantamweight scrap. I don't know if LC Davis will be next up uh, for new for Galvao, the new champion over there. But that was sort of a fight that 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 crept up on you, grew on you as it was going. It was one of those fights that starts out kind of awesome, and then halfway through the like the second round, you realize, holy shit, this is an awesome fight. Unlike kind of the Gaethje Palomino fight, which was just balls to the wall from the word go. Right. Uh, and this one actually had some defense in it. You know what's what I feel like is a striking difference between Bellator and World Series of Fighting, though? Like, just broadcast-wise, whenever I watch Bellator, I always come away being like, man, I need to watch more Bellator. Like, that was... I enjoyed myself. <laughs> I don't necessarily feel that about World Series of Fighting. No? And I think it's just like production values or something, man. It, it uh, Yeah, okay. It, and it does feel like... Uh, like you're always just reminded a little more watching the World Series of Fighting that we're we're in these kind of like small venues. Uh, Boss Rutan's kind of going to go off at some point. Uh, you're right. It does. It doesn't feel quite as tight, and and maybe maybe some of that is just an experience issue. I mean, Bellator's up to 135 shows already. They they've been doing that for a little while, so maybe that helps them out a little bit. Uh, I mean, I will, on the Elsie Davis Hideo Takoro fight, I was wondering. If Takoro isn't willing to take the kinds of chances that probably ended up in at least contributing to him losing the split decision here, is that fight nearly as fun? I mean, there was a couple little bit where we're going to knock each other down a little bit and rock each other. Uh, but Takoro seemed like, well, screw it. I'll just, I'll go for some, some submission stuff from positions he's not expecting. I'll go ahead and put myself on my back if I have to, to go ahead and try something. It seems like one of those fights where, you like to see one of the guys taking that initiative, and yet he's going to be punished for it. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a perfectly valid point. And also punting Elsie Davis right in his face a yeah. couple times. Do you see Elsie Davis's teeth after yeah, that? Yes, yeah, not good. Damn, man. I hope Bellator offers full dental. I assume they do, right? Uh, I mean, I would think that they would have to have some plan in place for the teeth of the people who are being punched in the <laughs> face professionally. Yes. <laughs> Uh, all around a pretty good showing this past weekend from two of the, uh, I guess, B-list MMA organizations in the United States. Uh, you know, I'm going to talk about your guy Frankie Cars. Goes out there, gets a decision win. We all, we don't even have, we all know that. We don't have to talk about that. <laughs> Everyone knows Frankie Cars. Did everybody check their jewelry afterwards? <laughs> no, man. Thackerville, Oklahoma was cleaned out. <laughs> Not a jewel to be found in the whole place. Uh, there's a picture the next day of the, the mayor of Thackerville turning his pockets inside out <laughs> <laughs> on the front page of the paper. Uh, well, good showing from Bellator and World Series of Fighting. Uh, we'll see you guys in October, I guess, because we're about <laughs> to get into the UFC hurricane. Um, as to right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number three. Ben, well, the most pressing question for you as we begin round three, who you got in the final four here? You like Sparty coming in as the seven seed? Think they get by the Blue Devils? What the hell do you think you're trying to do right here? You think Wisconsin can upend the undefeated Kentucky Wildcats? I will get up and I will walk out of here right now. <laughs> uh, but it brings us back to the point that uh, UFC, what fight night number is this? 63? 63. 63. Uh, kicks off the main card at about 11 a.m. in the one true time zone on Saturday to try to steer clear of the college basketball action. 
that night. Obviously not a ton of uh, advanced press for this show, given the world tour uh, happening right, right leading up to it, but a pretty decent Fox Sports 1 card here uh, in the in the co-main event. You've got the devastating Ayakinta taking on Jorge Masvidal. Um, Michael Chiesa on the card. Juliana Pena makes a return. Clay Guida, Dustin Poirier moving up to lightweight. But then in the main event, you've got uh, probably a meaningful heavyweight fight again in, in Chad Mendez against Ricardo Lamas. Um, are they fighting for number one contendership here, or do you feel like the winner of what is it, Frankie Edgar and Uriah Faber, are probably going to be in the in the pole position for that? I guess both Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor have been kind of making noise of, you know, that could lead us to jump to the conclusion that whoever wins is just going to go up to lightweight anyway. Um, even though McGregor's kind of backed off that a little bit, but if that happens, you got a vacant title. Maybe the winner of this against the winner of uh, Jose Aldo or. Uh, Faber and, and Edgar or the loser in the Aldo McGregor fight. I don't know, but a crazy time at featherweight and yeah. a fun time. Well, I don't, I think a lot of it will depend exactly on how everything shakes out. Right. Because I think if uh, Chad Mendez goes out there and wins as exciting as his last fight with Jose Aldo was like, I think if Jose Aldo w- remains the champion, he might have a little bit of a hard time immediately turning around and selling us all on uh, a third fight just based on the strength of this, you know, and Ricardo Lamas has also had his shot at the title and that was one of those fights where you know Aldo's kind of tooling him and then takes his foot off the gas in the fifth round Uh, so I I mean I think that both of those guys are still waiting for something that would really be the spark to to put them back in that title fight I think the UFC would also just wait to see how things shake out I'll tell you I was a little bit surprised I talked to Ricardo Lamas last week and you know he made that video where he makes fun of Conor McGregor Uh, did you see that one yes yeah yeah and he had talked before about you know, the need to show a little bit more personality in the featherweight class these days and to, to get, get a little more attention. And so I was thinking it was going to be a little more interesting interview than it was, uh, because it was, it was, went a little bit more like me saying, like, so I heard that, uh, you know, you're saying that you, you think you need to show more personality. And yeah, yeah, I think so. So what, what made you think that? Ouch. I don't, I don't know, man. I just thought, I just felt like it's something I should do. And you're like, you realize that this would be the time, right? Like this would be wow. like this you would are be the burying Ricardo Lamas right now. No, I'm not burying. I'm just saying it was like, all right. I feel like we're still maybe like the thing, like the, that energy that you get when you talk to Conor McGregor, and as he's talking, you're like, oh, this is all usable. Like I'm just in my mind picking out the quotes, and instead, you know, where you have an interview where you're like, this is not going to be that easy to to pull the story out of there you know that's that's the difference between like having to really convince somebody to give you a title shot and having them look for any possible justification to give you a title shot you come out with the headline ricardo lamas plans to defeat chad mendez at ufc fight night 63 ricardo lamas only getting better and better (laughs) stuff like that basically the headlines you see on like ufc.com every single time well that is a, a good point though just because he could use a little bit more exposure um, you know, even leading up to that Jose Aldo fight when he'd won four in a row, he still kind of felt a little bit anonymous in the featherweight division. He's won two since that. He's coming off that win over Dennis Bermudez where he snapped Bermudez's insane win streak. But I mean, even now, he, even now that he's going to be in a main event fight against Chad Mendez, uh, I feel like Ricardo Lamas could do with a little bit more exposure. I feel like his inkling is correct that he yes. could bring a little person, a little bit more personality to the, to the affair. And yet, sound like maybe he wasn't fully ready to go or 
you know what I wish? I wish more fighter, more fighters would realize the value of uh, the improv principle, yes and, uh, when in interviews. That you know, just kind of, kind of go with it, man. Have, have some fun with it, and uh, instead of just like a lot of, you know, you've done those interviews before, right? Where every th- single thing that you try to introduce as a possible like talking point, it seems like their only goal is to shoot it down. Yes. Like whatever yes. potential story, like thread you might have had in mind the only thing they want to do is to tell you why that's not a story and you're just like what are we doing what are we doing here yeah it's gotten pretty bad at this point since you know like as i'm sure is the case with you i've done enough fighter interviews where like you know what the person is going to say like yes. you write down all the questions or type them out or whatever and like as you like type one out you're like okay well this person is going to say that to this cuz that makes me feel like I shouldn't even ask the question yes. you know what i mean like it's and it's sort of a struggle to uh to uh, uh come up with what i feel like are valid and and interesting questions at this point um Chad Mendez comes in straight off his defeat to Jose Aldo uh, back in October of 2014. Um, do we have odds on this? Do we know what the odds are here? I would think Chad Mendez probably is a slight favorite over Ricardo Lamas. Uh, I'll look him up. I would think so too. I mean, I would think that like Chad Mendez seems like he's getting in that, uh, that position that, uh, we talked about Rashad Evans was in for a while where it looks like he beats everybody, but the champion, uh, which can sometimes be a tough spot to be in. Yeah. If Chad Mendez going off here, uh, some people have him as high as five to one, Whoa. Uh, but more likely, you know, I see the, I see a four to one line on there. Uh, Lamas about a plus three fifty plus three seventy five underdog here, which I don't know, a little bit more, a little higher than I expected. But I mean, Chad Mendez is one of those guys where, if you look at the things he does and you wonder, like, how do you beat that guy? I guess the answer is to be Jose Aldo. Because otherwise, that's a, that's a tough dude to deal with. Yeah, this does seem like a matchup where he's going to be better at the stuff that Ricardo Lamas does well. Um, although, you know, the way that Lamas kind of uh, undressed Dennis Bermudez in their meeting uh, really opened my eyes a little bit just to the yeah. the idea that maybe Ricardo Lamas belongs among those elite fighters. Uh and I suppose if all of this plays out according to chalk, Jose Aldo beats Conor McGregor, maybe Jose Aldo goes up to lightweight. You would still, even at featherweight, at that point, have a fairly compelling and entertaining group of guys to slug it out potentially for a vacant title. If Conor McGregor was still around and you had Chad Mendez and Ricardo Lamas, maybe a step behind him. And then uh, the winner of uh, of Frankie Edgar versus Uriah Faber probably in, in the mix. Um and man, if Uriah Faber were able to craft himself another run at a UFC title, that would really be something. Because that'd be like fifteen or something. Yeah, twenty-five shots of the title for Uriah. Faber. You know, and then you got you would have the Buffalo Bills sitting around over there, being like, "Oh, come on, man, enough is enough." <laughs> All right. Well, if there is there anything else on the UFC Fight Night sixty-three card you wanted to talk about, or should we move on to uh, just saying stuff? I got nothing else. All right, well, let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we'll uh, we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, what are you just saying this week? Well, I don't know if you saw this. We had this one on MMAJunkie.com, but apparently you know the fight where uh, Drew Dober lost for no discernible reason uh, when he was in a, a guillotine that wasn't really close. Uh, referee Eduardo Hurdy stepped in there, stopped it. The Brazilian Commission has since overturned uh, that loss and and changed it to a no contest after previously saying there was no way they could possibly do that. 
changing their mind like three days later. Uh, and we heard that uh, Dana White pulled a little little bit of a prank on Drew Dober. Oh, he did. By going in there backstage and at first saying, you know, I can't believe that you would tap to that guillotine. You, If, if that's the kind of thing you're going to tap to, you have no business in the UFC. Wow. To which you can I don't imagine, know that that's that funny. Well, <laughs> let me get to the end. You can imagine Drew Dober like kind of trying to restrain his sputtering rage in response to this uh, because you are dealing with the boss, but at the same time, that is some bullshit. And then Dana White saying, no, I'm just messing with you. We're going to try to help you get it overturned, and we're going to pay you your win money. I'm just saying, Chad, it goes from being a mean prank to a funny prank because the guy hands you a check at the end of it. Right, yeah, good point. That's good the point. difference. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Ben, like you said in round number two, uh, Tiago Silva was scheduled to make his return to the cage against Matt Hamill this weekend at World Series of Fighting 19, but then uh, Hamill got a cold or whatever and had to pull out of the fight. That's and dismissive. That's was, just dismissive. Was replaced by... Uh, Ready Teddy Holder, who his who uh, you know his last actual nickname? No, I just made that up. That's pretty uh, good. His last fight himself was August of 2013 at something called Strike Hard Productions 28. Nice, which is not a pornography production was company. That on apparently, but, I saw that it was late at night. An MMA promotion. Anyway, Tiago Silva making his own return to the cage for the first time since 2013, and for the first time since he allegedly texted his wife and told her that he was going to hire someone to kill her, and then allegedly showed up and uh, threatened to shoot 25 people at a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school and then barricaded himself inside his house until he got tasered by a SWAT team and then got the charges dropped because his ex-wife had fled the country. Anyway, he got knocked out in two minutes flat by steady Teddy Holder. So this week, man, I'm just saying, I hate it when bad things happen to good people. (laughs) I'm just saying. I see what you did there. Anyway, that's going to do it for the co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at uh, UFC Fight Night 63 and look ahead to whatever the next UFC event is. Uh, perhaps there's a pay-per-view then two weeks from now? We sure. don't even know. Who knows? We're just going to put our heads down and, and muscle through this thing until Halloween. UFC Fight Night 64, Krakow is what Oh, we're Krakow! Yeah. Well, something to be excited about anyway. As for right now, though, we're done. We are through. We are out. But seriously, I mean, like, if we can be honest, who hasn't texted their wife and said you're going to hire somebody to kill her? And then move your girlfriend into the house, which was the, the t- complete text, I think. I don't know if that's one text or two. First be- you send her the one that says you're going to hire someone to kill her. And, and then, then like, as an afterthought, you're like, oh, and. Yeah. She's still got the dot, dot, dots on the screen. She's